What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC. We have right here on the line a very special guest, a recurring guest, James Griffin, New York's own New York Yankees expert, MLB expert, the author of the hit book, The New York Yankees All-Time All-Stars, available right now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. We're here to talk about the Hall of Fame. We're here to talk about a labor disagreement. And we're here, of course, to talk about the Yankees who... uh, Aren't feeling so hot right now. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, man. Now, before we dive into this Hall of Fame talk, uh, we talked off there a little bit. There's not a lot to talk about with the Yankees that's exactly positive right now. But uh, just your thoughts overall on the last year of Yankees baseball. Yeah, sure. Not much positive to talk about in general in baseball right now, but certainly on the Yankee side as well. The Yankees, they're kind of stuck in this neutral ground right now and have been for quite some time where it's very unusual, but they don't want to buck up and spend any money on players, which is unlike anything who's alive and and well today. You know, nobody's used to that with the Yankees. So there's a a couple of things that I think the Yankees could do to kind of shake up what's going on with them right now. So so it's very clear that ownership is not going to spend any money. Um, One thing that they could really do is spend a lot of money, or not a lot of money, but spend the money that they're willing to spend on player development and scouting because the way it's going right now I mean Fred what who's the last player that you can remember that's homegrown in the Yankees that became any semblance of a star it's been a while Robinson Cano and Brett Gardner those are the only two basically since turn of the century the only two players that they've developed so that is a serious problem especially when they're not willing to spend on free agents and not a whole lot of players actually hit the free agent market because a lot of these teams are wisely uh, locking them up early on. So when they're, you know, in their early 20s and they show some promise, they'll sign them to a, a real long extension so that those players, they're not going to be any use when they actually do hit free agency and let's say they're mid-30s. So, you know, Brian Cashman gets a lot of flack. Aaron Boone gets a lot of flack. Um, some of it is warranted, but I'll tell you, I mean, Boone doesn't have a whole lot to work with in terms of young talent to develop at the major league level. And Brian Cashman, he's pretty good with those major league trades and and free agent signings when he's allowed to do them. Um, But really, I think it's it's that scouting and player development, which Cashman is in charge of. But maybe he should take a step back, still be the GM, uh, but just stick to the major league moves and let the let somebody else kind of get into this farm system, um, clean house, do what you got to do, but do something that kind of improves that pipeline so that Cashman does have good players to work with, so that Boone does have good players to work with on the major league team. I think if they do that, um, that that could make some significant improvements. Um, of course, they could also go back to spending money. That would be good too. But um, I think the the former option is really every, it's what we're left with right now with the current ownership. So um, yeah, not a whole lot to, to talk about in terms of Yankees these days. And when it comes to you know, the the labor issues with baseball. Um, I have a feeling we're going to get a delay on the season this year, if not a significant delay, which is highly unfortunate. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Things won't actually happen until the uh, the paychecks start getting hit. So once it comes to around March, April timeframe, that's when we'll really see some movement. So don't hold your breath for anything over the next couple of months. I mean, the MLBPA gets their players paid, and I'm not trying to hate on the NFLPA to cover football pretty extensively, as you know, but there are always times where I feel like, damn, like with, with football, with some of these other sports, sometimes they leave like money on the table, and with MLBPA, you, you don't get that at all. So 
Why do you think the MLBPA is such a, a strong union and there's so much unity, at least when it comes to getting paid compared to these other sports leagues? Yeah, we can actually, or not we, not you and I, but the players can actually thank Marvin Miller, who made the Hall of Fame last year. He was the first, the first, uh, I guess, figure within baseball to really um, not just lobby for, but successfully create a, uh, a players' union. And they were the first players' union in any of the major sports. Um, with the whole Kurt Flood situation, if you don't know what happened with Kurt Flood in the 70s, you can Google it. But basically, Marvin Miller is the guy who um, who really stood up to owners who were taking advantage of a broken system and that they could – it was basically indentured servitude when it came to players. You know, they were the property of the owners. They couldn't um, they couldn't lobby for better salaries. They, when it came to player movement, they couldn't become free agents. Marvin Miller was really the guy who, who brought that to the forefront and uh, did it in a really um, passionate and, and successful kind of way so that pay, that players these days, you know, with, with all the guaranteed contracts that major league players have, all that good stuff where they can hit free agency at a certain point and, and really cash in later on in their careers, they can thank Marvin Miller back in the, uh, in the 1970s for all of that. And I can't think of any analog for that in any of the other major sports. Of course, there was a trickle-down effect where – you know, the, the union of the, with Major League Baseball, you know, extended to other sports. But there was nobody like Marvin Miller who really made that happen. So I think it all ties back to that. It's crazy, right? I mean, the, the sports rights fees continue to go up. We're thinking, okay, you know, some of these sports are losing ratings. But the NHL just got a huge deal with Warner Media as well, even though their ratings aren't as good as, say, some other sports properties like WWE. It, it, it's wild to think about. You, you think the bubble's going to burst, and here we are after talking about this years later, and it continues to go up. When we get to a situation like this where, you know, that everybody's going to lose money because they're going to miss games. So um, I, I could see them, you know, the last time Major League Baseball had an issue like this, it's got to be close to 20 years ago. And they figured it out because they realized they had so much money on the table to, to lose if they didn't figure it out. Um, you'd like to think that'll happen again. I have no idea. <laughs> with, <laughs> with COVID times and owners crying, playing the poor card with COVID, um, even though nobody should feel sorry for owners, you know, um, those poor owners, know. right. They, 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 they were forced to buy a, a baseball team for leisure. Right. I mean, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, nobody's going to feel bad for them. A lot of people don't feel bad for players either because of the amount of money they make. But if you remember, you know, players, the average career is what, three or four years. Um, so whatever money they make in a small amount of time, that's it for the, you know, the rest of their lives. So, um, they're going to they're going to fight hard for what they deserve and they absolutely deserve to do that and um you know i as a fan just hope they figure it out sooner than later but again i'm i'm not going to hold my breath i think we're probably going to miss at least a month or so of the season and something tells me the you know both the owners and the players they might actually you know over the past or in 2020 it was a very short season and i think if they have another short season this year they might get used to a short regular season and trade that for more playoffs and expand playoffs and all that stuff. Um, I personally don't want that to happen, but I could very much see it happening where more teams make the playoffs. Um, it'll, it'll sell more tickets or more important tickets for more franchises. Um, it's a money grab. The owners will go for a money grab for sure. And if it means more money in the players' pockets too, they'll go for it. So I could see coming out of this probably a short and regular season more playoffs in baseball. Um, and it's going to look a lot more like the other sports, which um, is unfortunate because baseball was the only sport that really had a super important regular season. Mm -hmm. So if that goes away, I'll be sad. But 
as long as they start playing again, I'll be happy. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's you see with the NBA trying to do, do more things with the playoffs. Of course, you know the NFL uh, expand that as well. So yeah, if they see money, if they see you know opportunity in that, then th- they'll definitely go for it. Now, I got to ask you before we dive into this Hall of Fame discussion, if you could give a letter grade for Commissioner Rob Manfred, who's not exactly a very popular person these days, what would it be and why? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. Um... Uh, I mean, I guess Rob Manfred, I'll give him a passing grade just barely for for actually getting through COVID and not having to delay any World Series or anything like that. I think of all the sports, baseball's probably done the best with managing COVID. I mean, it helps that they play outdoors and all that, but I'll give Manfred, uh, let's say, a D plus because <laughs> um, he has not done a great job at all and probably could have avoided all these lockouts and, and all this nonsense with the rules that they're experimenting with and all that, it, it could be done a lot better. Um, but I'll also reserve judgment on a final grade, let's say. Let's see how long this delay is or how long this lockout goes because that D-plus could, could go south pretty quick. So, Yeah, if we're, if we're a month in and there's no games, I, I know I'm definitely going to be having you blow up my inbox to talk about it so hopefully that won't be the case so he'll get a higher grade but yeah not not exactly popular and you know understandably so but what is popular every year of course is the hall of fame and the hall of fame talk that you and i have uh, every year around this time who in your opinion if there's anybody is a slam dunk this year yeah there is no slam dunks this year actually so similar to last year where um i don't think Nobody nobody got elected last year, but as far as first-timers, nobody was particularly close. And similarly, this year, there's really no new guys who um, are very obvious Hall of Famers, which is unusual, um, although one may get in, but I'll, I'll get to him in a little bit. But, um, yeah, the, the, as far as slam dunks, none, but I can tell you as far as the, the big names who are actually in their last year of eligibility this year who may sneak in, although it's, it's kind of iffy. So – our favorite trio of Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Kurt Schilling, who have various issues for various reasons. Um, Clemens and Bonds, uh, you and I have talked in past years about how they, they deserve to get in. I'm not going to you know belabor those points anymore. You can go back to previous videos of Fred and I you know, <laughs> talking about that. Um, but right now, I, I thought that by their final year, they'd, they'd get over the, the hump and, and get in relatively easily. It's not the case right now. So a little over 40% of the vote is known uh, with public ballots that are, uh, that are published. And right now, both Bonds and Clemens sit just over that 75% mark with, to, to gain election, um, which, it, frankly, it's not enough because of all the public ballots, the, uh, the percentage of people who are willing to vote for guys like Clemens and Bonds, um, are they, they, they are, uh, I guess, let's we'll say more willing to vote for, for Clemens and Bonds. Whereas the people who are not willing to share their ballots um, usually are, are not inclined to, to vote for guys like that. So they're going to need to get up into that 80 to 85 percent of the known ballots to really have a chance at election. And right now it's looking good, um, which is unfortunate for a couple of reasons. One, they deserve to be in there. Um, warts and all, they're not perfect people. There's lots of not perfect people in the Hall of Fame right now. But also if they don't get in now, this whole nonsense about storage is just going to drag on and it's going to continue to be a story um, until they eventually get elected, whether it's via, you know, via veterans committee or some kind of special committee that they put together. 
which I could certainly see in the future, like a steroid committee where they, they try to decide these guys. But um, yeah, it's a shame they won't get in and it's, um, it's just going to continue to be a story every year when the whole whole fame time comes around. Now the other guy was Schilling. So he was really, really close last year. He was the closest to actually getting election last year. And um, I'm not going to pontificate on, on all of the ills of Kurt Schilling like I did last year, but basically he's, he's not, a, he's not a good guy at all. Uh, even by hall of fame standards where there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of bad, bad actors in there. Schilling kind of takes the cake, but um, he actually, before this, this election cycle, he requested his name to be taken off the ballot because he was upset because he missed by a few points last year. Poor him, right? <laughs> but um, he, so he, he asked for his name to be taken off. And finally, somebody did the, the right thing about Kurt Schilling and didn't listen to him. And I wish more people would just not listen to Kurt Schilling. They kept his name on there, but it has given him a hit. I mean, he's, he's down below 60% now whereas he was up around 72% last year. So Schilling's not going to get in either. It's, it's the last hurrah for all three of those guys. So, um, you know, Clemens and Bonds, there's an outside shot. I highly doubt it. Um, that's just crazy to me. That's just crazy. If I could just interrupt real quick, that's crazy yeah. because here, here's the thing. I mean, let's keep it real here too. I know like, you know, baseball writers, so see journalists, all this other stuff, but Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens also made people a lot of money, <laughs> including the people that covered – they covered baseball. Like everybody that was involved in baseball during their heyday benefited from that. So it's like, you know, and, and we've talked about it again ad nauseum, but just real quick, prior to them allegedly, you know, taking any kind of performance enhancing drugs, they were still on pace to be in the Hall of Fame. So it's just we've lamented this multiple times, but I just gotta say, like, from a talent standpoint, it's ridiculous they're not in. And from just like a money standpoint, like I'm sorry. Like they positively impacted the game. They made a lot of people a lot of money. They changed the game of baseball for the better. And I don't know. We're they're they're getting held out over some self righteous dudes that want to remain anonymous. Yeah, and the 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 very writers who are crucifying them now, um, they willingly turned a blind eye to to the steroid use as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're deciding that 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 was bad, which is uh, hypocritical at best. Yeah, I'm off my soapbox. You continue. <laughs> <laughs> All good. So um, speaking of steroid use, there's two first timers on the ballot. Um, both. Well, there's more than two first timers, but there's two that are really significant and that we can dig into. So David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, both have been tied to steroids, uh, both in very different ways. So uh, they, they both showed up on the survey testing, which was supposed to be anonymous in 2003. That was just supposed to be, uh, let's get a feel, baseball is trying to get a feel for how many guys are truly taking steroids. So they, they did a, uh, a survey test of about 100 players to see what the percentage was. And it did seem like it, it warranted further investigation, which then came the Mitchell report and all that good stuff. But they both showed up on that survey testing. It didn't come out until 2009. Um, when that happened, David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, they, they both denied using steroids at all. But Alex Rodriguez, oh, I'm sorry. Let me backtrack a second. David Ortiz denied using steroids at all. Alex Rodriguez said, yes, you know what? I used steroids, but only from 2001 to 2003, and that was it. He had a lot of pressure on him when he signed with the Texas Rangers. Um, he felt like he had to do something a little bit extra to live up to that huge contract he signed. Uh, still, nobody feels bad for him, but he said that, w- that was that. And then he, he tried to put it to bed. Ortiz did the same thing. 
thing is from there, it really became different because Ortiz never had a positive test at any point. Um, A-Rod went through a whole two-year fiasco, got suspended for an entire year, tried to crucify the Yankees organization, um, you know, played the, played the victim card, a whole bunch of drama. And then eventually, I don't know, two years after that, came around to an apology tour where he, he got a lot of, uh, he, he kind of got a little bit of his credit back. And that's actually continuing because he just got another job with ESPN to, to do more baseball games and all that. So he's, he's doing okay for himself now. Now, the way it's shaken out in the voting, it's strange because Ortiz, he's over 80% of the vote right now. So he may be the one guy who actually gets in this year, which is very strange because he's, he's a guy who actually did po- test positive for steroids. Yet of all the guys who, who test positive, I think he's the only one who's gotten any kind of universal support in the Hall of Fame voting, which is interesting. But it actually, um, Bill James, who's a, a big-time baseball analyst, kind of invented sabermetrics back in the day, he did a study on his website very recently about um, the difference in Hall of Fame voting with guys who spent their entire career or most of their career with one team versus guys who kind of move around a lot. Now, Ortiz, he's only known as a Red Sox. You know, he he played a little bit for the Minnesota Twins, but he's mostly a guy that's associated with the Red Sox. And it's based on this Bill James study, guys who spend their career with one team, they're more than twice as likely to get voted into the Hall of Fame than guys who had a similar career but bounced around from team to team. Hmm. So that may have something to do with Ortiz, but it's still strange because of that steroid, you know, the positive test and all that. But he's the one guy who's going to make it in. A-Rod, he's a whole case on his own. He's a unique case. Nobody has the steroid story that A-Rod does. And he's around 40% of the vote right now. Um, but he he could get in eventually. He's got another nine years on the ballot. Um, and honestly, 40% is a pretty good start. It's, it's better than Clemens and Bonds did in their first year on the ballot. So maybe there is a future with A-Rod in the Hall of Fame too. Uh, but those are the the two juicier stories of the, the new guys on the Hall of Fame. And then there's a bunch of guys in limbo. So there's a, a ton of guys who had pretty good careers, some great careers, who um, they're not particularly close, but they're they're not too far away either. So guys like Todd Helton, um, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, four guys who you could definitely make the case that they're Hall of Famers. Um, for various reasons, they don't make it in uh, or haven't made it in over the past five years or so. Hilton played in Colorado. Most writers hold that against him. Andrew Jones was a really good fielder, had a terrible back half of his career. He was a bench player. Um, wasn't a flashy hitter, but he was a, a good solid hitter. Scott Rowland, same thing. Not a flashy hitter. Um, really good fielder that tends not to be valued as much by Hall of Fame voters. And Billy Wagner, as a closer, people don't know what to do with him because he had a relatively short career. Um, but I, I made the case last year, I think, that he and Trevor Hoffman – very, very similar careers. Um, Wagner was better over shorter period. Hoffman was not as good over a longer period, but when, in terms of value, they're very similar. And Hoffman was a slam dunk. Billy Wagner is around the 50% range right now. Um, they both, all four of those guys, they have a good bit of eligibility left, at least three or four years. Um, so I think while these guys are in limbo, there's at least an outside shot that those guys get in. It won't be this year, um, but there's a shot for those guys. And there's a slew of other guys who are, if not in the same category as those four, they're very, very close. Really, really good players for, for a good long time. Bobby Abreu, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez. 
Um, Omar Vizquel, who's fallen off a cliff because of off-the-field issues, so to speak, with him. Um, and last but not least, Gary Sheffield, who's kind of the poster boy for that Bill James study with a, a nomadic-type player where they bounce from team to team. I mean, Gary Sheffield, he played, I think, for 10 teams maybe over his career and, and none for more than three years or so. But no matter where he went, he he was a machine in terms of hitting. Like, you're not going to find a better hitter than Gary Sheffield um, over most of his career. So those guys are in limbo, too. I don't think those guys will ever get in. Um, you know, there's various steroid whispers and even positive tests in Andy Pettit case. Manny Ramirez tested positive twice. Didn't Gary Sheffield have the clear or something like that from back yeah. in the day? Yeah, yeah, he was friends with Barry Bonds, and that's his tie to steroids. He apparently got some kind of uh, like lotion or something for his for his arthritic knee that they say was steroids. But that's really it with Gary Sheffield. I mean, he, he was he was kind of a big guy, but he wasn't he wasn't Bonds or McGuire or Giambi or guys like that. He, I think, he was just a really good hitter. So. <laughs> but he was also a terrible fielder, which is held against him. But yeah, so there's there's this really big gray area on the ballot that's uh, still trying to sort itself out. I think there's a handful of guys that have a shot. Probably two or three will get in eventually. I'm hoping it's a guy like Todd Helton who really deserves it. Um, even Scott Rowland, he's he's pretty damn close too, and I think he deserves it. So hopefully, if not this year, at least next year, we see some new blood get elected into the Hall of Fame. For sure, and I think with David Ortiz – you know, when you see him on TV, he's kind of a likable guy, and he's he, he's jovial, and it, it's kind of like it's almost like kind of baseball is like Charles Barkley. You know, what I mean, you say he can say whatever the hell he wants and, and just get away with it because he's just so likable, or you just want to hear anything he has to say, and he's not very politically correct. So I think that helps him out a lot. You know, he's yeah. a likable guy. Like you'd want to hang out with him, like Roger Clemens. You know, sorry, but like in real life, kind of seems like like a prick. You know, Barry Bonds. You know, bad, amazing player, maybe the best player of all time, but just. Kind of, you know, kind of, kind of a prick, you know, and, and everything. Whereas, like, yo, Big Poppy, like, you want to party with this guy? Maybe not anymore after you know what happened him a couple of years ago. But, right. I'm, but I'm just saying, like, you want to light up a cigar with this dude, which I know is stupid for Hall of Fame voting because it should be based on talent and you know the information we have and everything else. But you know, at the at the end of the day, right, it's the media game. He's in the media now, and I'd imagine that helps uh, sway his favor, right? Yeah, I mean, he he's a a teddy bear. Um, dare I say is a Yankee fan, <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he, and don't forget he's, he won a bunch of rings in, in Boston. Um, you know, he took them out of the basement in terms of breaking the curse and all that stuff. And he was clutch. You know, I have to admit he was a clutch player. He, he got it done in the playoffs. Um, certainly his reputation as, as a, a playoff hitter is way above and beyond what A-Rod ever was, even though A-Rod is a much better player than Ortiz was. I mean, a-Rod played the field, Ortiz was a lifetime DH. Um, but you can't argue with the the championship results. He's got, you know, as Bill Parcells would say, he's got the pelts on the pony to uh to prove it. And that's that's important for Hall of Fame voters. So maybe that has something to do with it too. What's your one bold MLB prediction on the field? Hmm. So here, here's my bold prediction, and it has to do with the labor, uh, the labor issues. So coming out of the labor issues. We're going to have a whole bunch of new rules on the field that we're all going to have to deal with as fans and point and say, what the hell were you guys thinking? <laughs> because it's happened each of the past two years. And with so much money on the line, they're going to have to find a compromise. And, um, you know, whether it's the owners vying for some dumb rule or if it's, uh, you know, the players 
you know, like I said, whether it's shortening the regular season or, you know, vying for, for more playoff games so that they get a higher paycheck, whatever it is, there's going to be a whole bunch of new rules that especially crotchety old baseball fans are going to be very upset with. So um, get ready for some changes uh, when and if this stuff um, finally clears up. Now, one rule I will say, if, if they do institute, I would be very happy about is the pitch clock because there's a lot of consternation about um, games taking too long. And I get it. You know, baseball is not the most action packed game. Um, games do tend to take a little while, but um, the, w- the way that they can really improve that is to implement and actually, you know, have teeth to a pitch clock because the biggest time waster in the game right now, it's when pitchers are looking in for a sign, they they call off, there's batters in the box, they step out, all that. Mm-hmm. If they just keep it at like 20 seconds or less for every pitch, I mean, the games will shorten pretty damn quick. So if that is a rule that's instituted, I think that'll be the best for everybody. Um, but I'm not going to hold my breath on them making a smart move. They're just going to make moves and we'll see what shakes out. I really do appreciate the time. Tremendous insight as always. Before we let you go, where can fans find you and your book online? Yeah, Amazon is the best place to get it. Um, it's called the New York Yankees All-Time All-Stars. Uh, you can also get it at brick and mortar bookshops if they even exist anymore. There's very few. Um, <laughs> JimmySays.blogspot.com. There we go. 